ah, the podcast episode's so good, it took me three days to record it. Well, it did take me three days to record it. Whether or not it's that good, I will leave to you. A few topics to cover today. No spoilers. Let's get to it. And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 226. Jeez, that's a lot of the drop set. Now, with new logo graphics, and maybe soon, if a certain host gets off his butt and does it, um, some like swag, some drop set branded swag. So that's my goal for the next week ahead. Um, if anybody wants any, hey, shoot me an email and let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to assume I'm just making it for myself, and there's no rush on that, right? Because I'll just take it whenever. So if anybody's interested, let me know. We are going to talk about three distinct topics today, none of which are television shows. Um, there was a part two coming for that. Uh, for those who skipped that last episode, first of all, yeah, I figured, but also there's another one coming because I have had a lot of really good feedback from it too. So apparently, uh, apparently there's a, a certain population out there that, uh, is very much interested in it. So, um, yeah, sorry, not sorry, I guess is the, uh, the script there. So I'm recording this at a weird time. This is a Tuesday. It's nine 50 in the morning, which is a very, very weird time. This is usually when I'm getting ready to go to the gym. However, today is a big old high carb day for me. And so I've adjusted my schedule a little bit so that I can get in two full meals, um, each pushing about 120 grams of carbs before heading to the gym. So, um, I've got the second one kind of preparing right now. I'm going to record this, eat that, go work out. So, um, I got a little time while the air fryer's going here. <laughs> it's, it's all about, it's, it, let, let's, let's touch on this. So this, this is a question that comes from, uh, Mark, uh, my client, Mark, who you've heard on this podcast before. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Um, and so he says, um, th- this is from a while back. So he's going to be like, dude, I don't remember asking this question. Well, it was from November of last year, dude. So I hold on to this shit forever. Okay. So there you go. Um, have you thought about, um, athletes who compete in bodybuilding and another sport um to which i say like eh, not very much not very much and not a huge concern of mine um you said i feel like there are quite a few that could benefit from my expertise on multitasking and time management that is what i want to talk about so whether it's bodybuilding another sport or bodybuilding in business or anything like if you're doing this you are doing stuff that most people don't do. And therefore, the demands on your time are going to be higher than somebody who otherwise does all the same stuff that you do, but then doesn't do this. So um, I come to this um, really from more of an entrepreneur's mindset than anything else. That's how I approach time management or why it's important to me realistically. Because a lot of the stuff with regards to bodybuilding, like I just got in the habit of doing it and it's not a big deal. Like meal prep when you have to, you make time to train, you make time for the cardio when you have to, whatever, blah, 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 blah. The issue is um, when you are like when I was in school or when I was working a, you know, something closer to a nine to five job, it was actually seven to three for me, but whatever. Um, you know, you're, schedule is kind of, you know, there's, there's a formula that you're kind of baked into. Right. And so, you know, that during certain hours you can't do anything. So therefore you have to do everything else, um, outside of that window. When you run your own business, first of all, your scheduling freedom kind of opens up a little bit, but also the demands on your time at all hours of the day go up as well. So like, you know, I would say right now I work between the hours of, um, four a.m. to 6.30 p.m. That's 14 hours. It's not completely continuous. Um, and that does include my own training, which is work for me. It is something where I don't really have the option to not do that um, unless it's a rest day, right? But, you know, it's like that's it, something that I have to do. So I And also there is practice, training, and education, and um, other things that go into that that make that really kind of a work act, work activity more than anything else. I try to separate it and make it feel like it's more for me than work, but at the same time, I know, like, you know, as I'm going through it, I'm making mental notes like, oh, yeah, hmm, I forgot about this with this exercise. I need to make sure that I'm watching for that when somebody else does it. There's always that kind of stuff. So it's still always going to be work to some degree. 
um, there's just so much stuff to do. So let me switch over here and let me pull up my calendar. Let's talk about this momentarily here. So my calendar, and I posted about this in a reel recently about using a calendar to keep your shit together. Um, and I think it's essential. So the thing about time management from the perspective of a bodybuilder, from the perspective of an entrepreneur, or from the perspective of a human being that just wants to get more stuff done is understanding like it is probably the single most important skill that you can develop is good time management skills. Um, because all of our resources are finite and none of them are more finite than time. You've only got so much in a day. You've only got so many days in a week. You've only got so many weeks in a year and you've only got so many years in your life. So it is the, the one thing you can't trade anything else for more time. We all have the same amount you know, in a given day, some of us live longer than others for sure. Um, but, uh, we've all got the same amount and it's just, what it comes down to is identifying how you're wasting time, how you're being inefficient. And I am not one of those who, uh, says that every second that you're awake has to be maximally productive. I, I do think like, if you look at my schedule, there are little blocks here and there where there's nothing, but at the same time I'm looking at it and I've got everything on here. Everything that I have to do on a given day is on here. It's blocked out and it's blocked out with enough time that I know I can get it done. Um, so I'm looking at today, for example, and this is every day. I have cardio scheduled from 5.15 to 5.45 a.m. And, you know, I might be 15 minutes late on that, but it's a 30-minute block somewhere around that time, right? Now, before that is when I wake up and after that is when I'm just doing email and computer time. That email and computer time, and a lot of that is like, you know, doing, watching research videos and stuff like that, you know, continuing education, that kind of stuff, um, like after cardio. A lot of that is very flexible. Like if I finish my cardio a little later, then that time just gets shortened. So, and how much time I spend on email just depends on how many emails I get overnight when I'm clearing out my inbox in the morning. So that's one of those things that actually doesn't make it on my calendar. There's a spot for it. I know what I'm doing there. What I do know is that I start doing client check-ins at 6.30 and I do that for an hour, 30 to 7.30. Then there's a break on the calendar. That's when I eat. After that, dog walk for 30 minutes, right? After that, back to uh, back to check-ins. After that, today, podcast. And then um, from there, there's a break to eat. Then I have, I go ahead and I schedule a two-hour block on the calendar for training. It doesn't take me that long, but that includes commute time to and from the gym. That includes my warm-up time. That's still usually enough time to, um, to have... Uh, to not be super, super slammed tight. So then I know like, Hey, and I can work in a little bit of additional treadmill time, get some extra steps post workout. If I've got a little gas left in the tank, et cetera. And I know when I have to be back home. So right now that block is 1130 to 130 today. So I know I got to be back home at 1:30. at that point. It's back to email. I've got a call scheduled at two 30. I have additional check-ins scheduled at three. I'm mowing the yard after that. So like everything that I do is blocked out. Now, some of this stuff also like, you know, I've, I've adjusted things a little bit. Like I had the podcast at a different time. I moved it just based on how the, the morning shook out. I scheduled my training back a little bit, understanding, okay, I still have room after that to, you know, clean up email, et cetera, before my two thirty call. So, um, it's, it's not set in stone. It's movable. But what I really try to do is avoid, like, I'm not sliding the podcast over to tomorrow because that's not time management. That's procrastination. And then you have to go back and look at like, okay, why did I not get that done today? Why do I suddenly now not have time for that when I did on my calendar before? And this is the troubleshooting aspect of time management that most people ignore. But until you have your calendar set up where everything that you have to do have to do on a given day is on there. And you know, I have to eat. I don't plug meals in there. That's just where the breaks come in. So if your schedule is wall to wall, red or blue or whatever color, and there's no room to breathe, your calendar is not going to be, you're not going to be successful with it. Like you have to schedule in time where you can breathe and not have anything. Um, but for me, the big part is I can look at this calendar and I'm, I wake up on, I wake up on a typical Tuesday and think like, Oh man, I got so much shit to do. Uh, and you start getting stressed out. And here I can be like, Oh, I do have a lot of shit to do, but here's when I'm supposed to do all of it. And if I do this, then hmm, I'm done with everything on my calendar by four 30. Wow. Okay, cool. I wonder if I can make that happen. Some days. Yes. Some days. No. Sometimes I end up pushing things back a little bit, but I do everything possible to avoid shifting something over to the next day. If I do, or if you do on your calendar and until you get everything laid out like this, you cannot do this. And so that, that's the first important step is get your life on your calendar. Um, and to some extent it means like, yeah, let it run your life a little bit. That's okay. 
that's okay. You can micromanage it. You can move things around. You don't have to be painted into a box, um, but get it set up. And then if you find yourself moving something over to a day, you have either failed to plan by not giving yourself enough free time on that day. And by free time, I just mean like enough time to get all this stuff done that you need to do. You either overextended yourself or you procrastinated and wasted time. So what you have to do then is go back and look at like, okay, where did this calendar start to fall apart today? Like what was the first domino that fell? Oh, you know what? It's because that first round of check-ins, I started 15 minutes late um, because I got sucked into this article that I found on Facebook. And then it went 15 minutes long because, you know, I wasn't paying attention or I I got stuck doing something that was a little bit more complicated and it took more time. And so suddenly you're a half an hour behind and then like, oh, then I eat and I was eating kind of slow because I was watching something cool on YouTube. And then, oh, now it's time to walk the dogs. Well, I'm a little late there. And then, oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, taking my time. You know, let me, let me straighten some stuff up here and there. And then suddenly before, before you know it, you're 45 minutes behind. Now, the thing to ask is like, you know, is that reasonable to expect? Do you just need to build in more buffer time on your calendar? That's a possibility. Give yourself more buffer time. So a blank spot on my calendar is a time for me to kind of reset and catch up if I'm getting behind. So I will have a 30, 45, 60 minute block that's unfilled and that's buffer time. That's not unproductive time. It's just time that I know like, Hey, if I'm, if I'm falling behind, I can catch up here. So, um, and these are the things that you learn after you manage a calendar for a while. You can see like, it looks really cool and it feels super efficient to just be like, okay, every minute is scheduled, but it just doesn't work like that. And when, once you try to practically execute that schedule, you'll realize how ridiculous that is. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got to be reasonable about it. And remember that you're a human being following it, not not an Android. So (laughs) you've got to, you've got to plug in a little bit of practical consideration there. So, um, but I would recommend that everybody go to that calendar model, unless you're like, you know, you're retired, you're living on the beach, whatever. If you've got shit to do, if you've got responsibilities and it's a lot to keep track of in your head, you got to have a place to write it all down. And a calendar, I'm going to say it is better than a day planner. I know the guy who, who argues for, um, for pen and paper workout logs, um, but not a pen and paper day planner. No, because a calendar, you know, this stuff is very, very flexible. Like I, I move something on my daily calendar every single day every single day. Now tomorrow is looking good because tomorrow is a rest day for me. So I've got a block in the afternoon where currently there isn't anything. Now today I will find things to put there. Um, And again, I've got to be reasonable about it. I can't just say like, Hey, cool. So from 10 to two, I got nothing going on. Awesome. I mean, that's great. Sure. But you don't want to fill up all four of those hours complete with nonstop back to back to back to back stuff. So it's going to be like, you know, I might, um, I might do some, um, uh, pre-production for a YouTube video. In fact, I need to, I'm, I'm actually going to put that on here. Um, YouTube pre-pro and script writing. That'll be for an hour. I'm going to put that in from 1030 to 1130. And then I'm also going to put on here, um, drop set logo swag work. And that'll be from 1230 to 130. So I'm giving myself time to eat, probably work in an additional, dog walk in there, that kind of stuff. So stuff that has to get done. Actually, I should probably do some website work in there as well. I'm comfortable with like a two hour block. Um, that's, that's back to back. That's about as long as I will go. So I'm going to say, um, my, my website for my production company, um, is currently just an empty shell. There's nothing there. So I'm going to try and get some content on that tomorrow as well. So it's like, you know, a non-training day, man, that's a two hour block out of my day that I don't have to do because it's a day off. Cool. So I'm, I'm, I am jamming that up with some additional stuff because it's my day to kind of get caught up on stuff that otherwise on a typical day, I don't have time to do. So that's how I use my schedule and how I use my calendar. Um, and it is a skill. So the thing is like, as I always say with anything, you got to suck at something before you're any good at it at all. Um, and so I, I would strongly recommend like get going on your calendar right now, like get it set up, start implementing it and then figure out what works and what doesn't and adjust accordingly. It's a living, breathing thing. Um, and you need to modify it as time goes on, but you can't modify it until you set it up and realize all the ways in which you made a mistake in setting it up. And then just don't be afraid to go in with a hatchet to it and say, Nope, this has got to go. Okay. Nope. Did this wrong. This wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Okay. Fix, 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 fix. And then you can really start to get somewhere from there. Okay. Next up. Um, this comes from 
Laura. Also my client. Hey, Laura. How you doing? This is a good question. I, um, I gave her a breakdown of this uh, and my thoughts on this um, via email also. But I, I did mention like, yeah, this is a good one though. So um, she said, uh, macros. How do you find the right balance? What's the purpose of each macro? And how might they differ based on body types, physique goals, and stages in life? Um, so that's there's a whole slew of questions in there. And then she said, when bulking, I've seen in red, you should set protein to approximately one gram per pound in body weight. And then have seen and heard the opposite, meaning you know higher or lower for sure. Um, so at what point do you prioritize protein over carbs and fats and vice versa? So And then she gives um, a couple of options here. So um, macro calculations for a moderate rate bulk. Um, and they're, you know, numbers that are kind of all over the place. So um, just a couple of like an, an A column and a B column. So protein either at like 117 or 168, fats at 70 or 53. Carbs in both examples are pretty close to 200. So, um, and she said for perspective, tracked macros for several years, never gotten fats up to 70 grams daily. Um, right now, she said the macros were kind of in between those two examples there. So um, the, the thing is like, there are very, very basic standard guidelines for anybody interested in bodybuilding. And by bodybuilding, I don't mean it in a competitive sense. I just mean like looking to implement a diet and training program to improve your physique aesthetic, right? We're going to call that bodybuilding. So for bodybuilding purposes, there's a very, very, um, what would I say here? widely agreed upon set of numbers from anybody who has actually like dug into peer reviewed research. And we're talking about what's effective and what's also safe. Um, so some people have concerns over like, Oh, high protein, et cetera. Unless you have markers for chronic kidney disease prior to initiating a high protein diet, there's nothing wrong. If you keep your protein somewhere in the range of one to one and a half grams of protein per pound of body weight, that's a good range. So for me at today was 226. Um, so that's going to be anywhere from protein at 226 all the way up to 339. Like that's a safe range to be in. I don't have any markers for chronic kidney disease, so we're good to go. Um, that's a big range. That's a range of a hundred grams. Yeah. So how do you know where you should fall in there? We'll come back to that. Um, typically, um, a starting point for carbohydrates is one to three grams per pound of body weight. Well, again, for me, one gram is 226, um, and three is going to get me all the way up to 678. Yikes. Okay. Um, that's a lot. Today's a high carb day. I'm, I'm falling just a little bit short of that. I'm at 655 today. So that's three grams. So that's the acceptable range. I'm, I'm barely going to be able to hit that target today. And I, I'm, I'm a pretty good eater, but you know, that's a lot. When you're going for whole food sources, that's a lot. If you're talking about Oreos, I can put down 600 grams of carbs in Oreos like like it's that. Not feel great afterwards, but I'd enjoy it nonetheless. Um, and then, so for, for fats then, it's your body weight, you know, it's 0.3 to 0.7 grams per pound of body weight is the acceptable standard normal range for bodybuilding purposes. So for me, that's going to be somewhere between 67 grams all the way up to... 160 grams, 158. So again, massive range, massive range. So the thing is like, those are all good starting points to consider, but also it's just kind of like, that's not necessarily goal driven either. Like, you know, if I'm going to, um, get really, really lean, for example, um, there's no way I'm going to have my fats at 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. They're going to be lower than that, right? So these are good starting points. These are good ranges that, you know, it's a good idea to spend a lot of your time in these ranges, right? So, um, now let me see here. Um, I'm, I'm not going to tell tales out of school or anything like that, but you know, Laura mentioned that, you know, she'd never gotten her protein up to, um, 70 grams. So based on, on her, body weight. I will keep that number quiet, but I'm going to do some math here and y'all can figure it out if you really, really want to. I don't think anybody wants to that bad. Um, you know, the low range for her is going to be like 35, you know, um, and the high end of that range is going to be 85. So never gotten it up to 70. Who cares? You don't have to get it up to 70. You know, part of this also, so th these are good ranges to start within, right? Like 0.3 to 0.7. Cool. Try to get yourself in there. See how it feels. I mean, I love my fats higher than 70. Currently they are at 70, which is kind of like my 0.3 gram per pound of body weight threshold. So they're kind of at the minimum. I like them at 70. I would love it if they were higher, but you know, I 
for me, my carbs also right now are at 325, which is, you know, 325 divided, oops, divided by 226. It's like 1.4 grams per pound of body weight. So, um, you know, in a deficit, you've got these ranges like protein, 1 to 1.5, carbs, 1 to 3, fats, 0.3 to 0.7. Um, in a deficit, you're going to be on the lower end of most of these ranges, if not under a lot of those ranges. Like, um, you know, w- whenever I've finished a cut, I've always been at under 1 gram per pound of body weight for carbs. Um, a lot of it has to do with preference. So, you know, for me, hitting 70 grams of protein or 70 grams of fats for the day, pretty easy. I would love them higher than that. I can drop it down to 70. It's not difficult at all. Um, if I had to lose some calories, here's the question. Would I miss carbs more or would I miss fats more? kind of depends. Like I'm thinking about the fat sources that I add in. Like I've got some avocado, man, that really makes the meal that that's in. I don't want to pull that out. I've got some almonds that I've just added in recently to one meal. Like I like those. Could I live without them? Yeah, but it's some nice variety. I kind of like it for that. Beyond that, I've got trace fats from this and that and the other thing. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I mean, my diet right now as it's set up has a lot of trace fats. So not necessarily additional fat sources, but just trace fats. So if I was going to pull out some fats, it'd have to be one of those two sources realistically, or I'd have to modify a, a protein source to go for a leaner option. And it's like, ugh, that's a, that's a lot of work. So I'd be like, you know what? I'd, I'd lose some carbs. You know, I've, I've got a healthy amount of carbs in three of my meals. I could drop that down a little bit and, and be okay with that if I had to make that concession. So preference absolutely come, can come into the equation here for sure. So it doesn't have to be like a, okay, all right, we got to do this. Now at that, at, by the same token, I kind of, um, there's, there's a performance aspect to consider as well. Like if your carbs are higher, that's going to be more directly useful for training performance and having an impact there. So Usually, my preference is going to be like, hey, uh, if I'm if I'm working on somebody else's plan, be like, let's drop some fats down. You know, we, it's, it's time to time to drop some calories. Let's lose some dietary fats. They're higher than they need to be. You know, we want to keep that at a minimum threshold, which is lower than that 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. Like in this time, we're turning we're just talking about absolute terms. Like you know, we could get, go down as low as 20 or even close to single digits if we had to for a short stretch. I wouldn't want to stay down there for too long. Um, just because there's some health detriments to staying down there for too long. But if you're trying to get like stage lean, you know, it can be helpful. Um, and dropping fats down that low lets you keep carbs up higher. Typically, I'm not going to shift around protein too much except for appetite control. Um, like if we're really, really hungry, I might increase protein a little bit because it's more satiating as long as we're bringing that in from solid food sources. If I bump in protein and somebody's like, cool, let me add another scoop of protein powder in here. Fuck that. You're missing the point. No, <laughs> it's got to be solid food. Um, so, and also if you're hungry, like just get rid of every shake. <laughs> Having solid food protein sources is the best way to control your appetite Just don't have shakes. Um, so that, that's, again, that's nothing wrong with shakes, but for appetite control, they're terrible. They just, they're, they don't, they don't do the trick. Um, which is why they're great in the off season when you're trying to pack down some calories. So, so I guess the, the way that I would answer this, Laura, is that there, there are so many potential right answers for this. You know, the, the, the ranges are so big, um, that you could be, you know, like, you know, 117 grams of protein for you. That's low. It's low. That's under one gram per pound of body weight. I wouldn't go there. I would go higher. I tend to go somewhere middle of the road. Like, you know, just looking at my own protein intake, I'm at like 1.2 to 1.3 on the middle of the road between that one to 1.5. I think that's a good place to be generally speaking. Um, the other thing to consider here is if your body weight isn't terribly indicative of your lean, of your lean mass. Like if you've got a lot of additional weight that you're carrying around, you need to make a calculation based on something that's more of like a, a realistic weight. So like if you're walking around and you're 350 pounds or something like that, but you have a goal weight of 280 or 260, I might base the numbers off of your goal weight because you're carrying around a lot of weight that is not metabolically active and so shouldn't be factored into the calculation. So like, you know, if someone's 350 pounds, you know, do they need 350 to 1050 grams of carbs? No. No, of course not. That's ridiculous. Uh, you know, for somebody like that, you know, that's an, out, an uh, extenuating circumstance where I'd say these numbers start to fall apart a little bit. Like your carbs are going to need to be significantly lower than one gram per pound of body weight. 
you know, so um, there, there are certainly outliers that can break the utility of these general ranges. But for bodybuilding purposes, very generally speaking, for most people in most circumstances, you're going to fall in these ranges. And that's, that's a good place to start. But also know that, you know, these aren't rules. These are guidelines. And even rules are meant to be broken. Guidelines are absolutely meant to be broken. Like you just have to know, like, OK, why am I doing this? What's my intention with going outside of this range? Like, why am I going under 0.3 grams per pound of body weight on my dietary fats? Like, well, I'm stalled. I'm at a plateau. Um, my protein is in a good spot. I don't want to sacrifice any more carbs. So fats are the next logical place to go. Hey, that's fair reasoning. That's good. I'm cool with that. Um, I wouldn't say, well, you know, my, my fats are at 0.3 or 0.35 grams per pound of body weight. My carbs are higher, so I should lose them. Like, no, I mean, preference, you know, would you rather keep the carbs? Would you rather keep the fats? The carbs are going to be more immediately useful. Like I said, in terms of training performance. So I would always kind of bias myself towards keeping carbs higher. Um, some people like they don't care about carbs. They want their food to taste good. You know, I've, I've known people who are like, you know, put me at 60 grams of carbs, but give me, you know, 80 grams of fats. Okay. You know, we can, we can work with that. Not my preference. And the, th the question is, are you performing well under those circumstances? Some people also like their stomachs are so dicey, like they have a hard time finding carb sources that don't upset their stomach. Um, so in that case, then yes, the same kind of thing. Like you're, you're making decisions based on uh, additional circumstances, but just broad stroke, protein, 1 to 1.5, carbs, 1 to 3, fats, 0 0.3 to 0.7 for all those grams per pound of body weight is a good place to start at the least and big ranges to work within there. Hey everybody. Okay. So a uh, quick little break here. It is now Thursday. So, um, I, uh, well, as is often the case, I got distracted. I started recording this on Tuesday, stuff happened, and it's now Thursday. So coming back to wrap this up here, there was one additional topic that I wanted to cover here. Um, and you might say like, well, Darren, what, what were you doing? And, uh, you know, full disclosure, last night, um, Wednesday night, um, we finished a video shoot here at home. So um, a lot of yesterday was spent in preparation for that. So this is for a music video that we're doing here. So um, yesterday was like, okay, client check-ins, a little bit of other stuff podcast is getting put off another day. So here we are wrapping this up now. I want to talk about health and specifically like blood work and lab reports. Um, this is something that I've been, I've been kind of pushing more and more with clients. It's really um, applicable for anybody who is on PEDs or interested in going that route. But of course, it's, uh, it's relevant for everybody. And the thing is, it's like bodybuilding is hard. And by bodybuilding, as always, I define that as, you know, following a plan to try and improve your body composition. It doesn't mean that you're looking to get up on stage. That would be competitive bodybuilding, which is a subset. But just bodybuilding in general is hard. Losing body fat is hard work. Building muscle is hard work. If you have internals in your body that are working against you, you need to know about those so that you can either do something about them or just know that they're there and that you're swimming upstream. It's just really, really important to know this stuff. So what I'm going to do here is uh, I'm going to pull up my labs from that I had pulled in February of this year um, and kind of walk through what we're seeing here. I want to talk about a few different um, tests that, that get run that are common um, and also just based on my experience in working with clients, um, what... Uh, what kind of stuff often gets missed or overlooked or misread? Here's the thing. Um, a lot of doctors are terrible at interpreting um, lab results, specifically as it uh, pertains to bodybuilders, because we have slightly different... Uh, what's the word? Slightly different ranges, and certain things might be out of spec that are okay. So, um, like some, some uh, there's a few things on my, uh, my lab work here that are definitely flagged, which are absolutely not a problem. My doctor is cool and smart in that he knows like, oh yeah, well it's because of this. So, um, the types of tests that you get, so, you know, blood work. And one of the questions that I ask in my, um, my new client intake assessment form is, have you had your labs drawn recently? If so, what were the results? And I need to change that question because I usually get two answers to that question. Either no, I haven't, or yes, and everything was fine. The latter tells me nothing because I don't know what they checked. So, blood work is basically just you're getting blood drawn and sent to a lab. It does not mean that you're getting X, Y, Z, and A, B, and C checked. Um, so those are, you know, you have to determine what kind of panels you want to run. Um, 
And we'll get into to what those are here and, and what's relevant um, for us and what we care about. We care about everything, but we care about some things more than others. And the things that I always want to push are the things that most doctors don't usually order. Um, so what do most doctors usually order? There are three panels that are incredibly common that I think pretty much every, well, there's always exceptions, but most lab reports that I see have these. The first one is a CBC. That's your complete blood count. This is information about your blood, your white blood cell count, your red blood cell count, you know, size and composition of, of blood cells, your platelets, hemoglobin, hematocrit, etc. Um, usually what you're seeing here is an indication of a blood disorder or a blood viscosity issue or something that might be impacting blood pressure. So um, for, for us specifically, the the things that we want to check as bodybuilders would be your hematocrit. Um, specifically, if you're on PEDs, your hematocrit may be high. This is really kind of like a measure of your blood viscosity is probably the best way to put it. Um, and so if your hematocrit is high, um, it can lead to high blood pressure. And high blood pressure is one of the leading um, risk factors for uh, uh, higher, higher um, uh, occurrence of all-cause mortality. So really like the two main things that you want to be monitoring that you can monitor yourself. You can monitor these at home. You don't need a, a, a blood test from a lab to determine this would be your blood pressure. You can just get a blood pressure cuff for 20 bucks at Walgreens or whatever and check that at home um, and your blood glucose. Um, those are two things that um, are if you keep those two things in check you're going to be in good shape more or less most of the time. Um, a lot of things on lab markers um, are specific things, but usually, uh, not usually, I don't want to overgeneralize here, but oftentimes if there's uh, some kind of an issue with labs, um, you're going to see that reflected in your blood pressure or blood glucose. Now, I'm an exception because I do have a few markers in my lab work. My blood pressure is consistently like 120 over 70, which is very good. And my blood glucose here, um, you know, when I had it checked here, it was 68, which is actually flagged as low, which is fine. For somebody who has a higher um, higher amount of muscle in their frame, low blood glucose isn't really a problem. Um, it's a problem if you like start to get dizzy or lightheaded or something like that. You know, it's 68 here. I've checked it at home and gotten a 62 and a 64. These are fasted numbers in the morning. Um, it's very low for sure, but lower is better within reason. Um, as long as you don't have some risk of, of hypoglycemia, um, then you're going to be good. The bigger concern is going over. So, you know, the, the reference interval, well, let me get to that. Let me get to that. The CBC, um, my hematocrit is a little bit elevated. The reference range here, which is male specific, is 37.5 to 51. Mine is 53. So I'm taking that and my doctor looks at that and he's like, yeah, but your blood pressure is pretty good. I mean, it's great. So I'm not really too worried about that. What we want to do is watch that and see if it elevates over time or, you know, it's going to fluctuate a little bit. Does it come down or is it always trending up? So that's one of those things like we flag that and then we'll want to check that next time around as well. So one marker being off on one test doesn't mean anything unless it's like way off. Like if, if my hematocrit was 58, that'd be like, holy shit, dude, you got to fix this. <laughs> that'd be a problem. That would be a problem. Um, uh, next most common thing is a comprehensive metabolic panel, your CMP. So this is going to be, uh, uh, more like elements, uh, Oh, what's the word? Electrolytes, your sodium, potassium, chloride, calcium. This is going to be your uh, uh, protein, um, uh, specifically like um, kind of uh, – uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, protein filtration scores, basically, like how are your kidneys performing? This is also going to be some some basic liver panel as well. Um, so things to watch out for in this. Um, so glucose is one of them. It's it's really the biggest marker that I, I really gravitate to first in a CMP. What's your blood glucose? And if it's high, the, we want to focus on, okay, why is it high and how can we get that down? If you're eating a shit ton of food, your blood glucose is probably going to be relatively high. Mine is in the 60s and I'm eating 325 grams of carbs. So everybody's different. You know, I've seen people who they're in the 110 to 115 range on 150 grams of carbs. So this is a, an indicator of insulin sensitivity, how well your body processes food and carbs. Um, you want this score relatively low. So the reference range is 70 to 99. Ideally for bodybuilding, we want it under 90, like 80 to 90 is a good place to be. If you're lower than that and you feel great, it's certainly not a problem. Um, 
for me, I'm flagged my creatinine is high. This is not creatine. This is creatinine, which is a different thing. It's a byproduct of creatine. Um, so the reference range is 0.76 to 1.27. There are, there are um, units associated with this as well. I'm going to skip it because nobody cares that that's milligrams per deciliter. I can guarantee you that nobody cares. But just know that there is meaning behind these numbers. So the upper end is 1.27. I'm at 1.37. Flagged as high. Anybody who has higher muscle mass on their body is going to have a higher creatinine score. Who cares? It's not a big deal. The thing to keep in mind about reference ranges on blood work is that these um, are not reference ranges that have been statistically determined to be where humans should be. Um, because what you'll notice is if you get like, this is from, uh, I think my report's from LabCorp. If you get one from Quest Diagnostics or some other lab, they're all going to have different reference ranges because the reference ranges are a statistical average of what most of the results are that that lab sees. So you will know if you're in that reference range, you're in with most of the general population. And a lot of these ranges are really wide. So being high and being low doesn't necessarily mean anything really bad. It just means you're outside of the spec of what's considered normal, but it's not necessarily bad. So like for creatinine, most people do not have high, high muscle mass. So if yours is high and you do have higher muscle mass, that's fine. Now, if you're not a higher muscle mass individual and your creatinine is high, that might be more of a concern. Um, so uh, my EGFR, which is, uh, oh, your estimated glomerular filtration rate. It's a measure of uh, kidney function. Um, you want that basically as high as possible. And they say, you know, ideally you want it greater than 59. Um, I would like to see it at 80 or higher. Mine's 65. So, eh, you know, it might be a sign that, oh, okay, kidneys are, are, are working a little bit here. Um, and again, that's another one that I would flag that. And um, you've also got... Uh, Oh, where is it? You've also got your BUN and BUN creatinine ratio. BUN is blood urea nitrogen. Um, these are um, markers on kidney filtration. Often a higher protein diet might be a little bit elevated with those. Mine are great. They're actually kind of on the lower end. So um, that EGFR being um, uh, not quite as high as I'd like is, is fine. Your electrolytes are pretty much always going to be fine and in range. If not, you're probably dying or close to it. Um, Protein, measure of kidney function. Um, so you've got also, you've got your AST and your ALT. Now these are liver enzymes and um, these are important things to know because oftentimes in bodybuilders, these will be elevated and it's not because your liver is working hard, but it's because these two enzymes are also present in skeletal muscle. And so if you've got more muscle mass on your body, your AST and your ALT are likely to be higher. Um, one thing you can do if you want a more accurate reading is um, take a week off from the gym prior to getting your blood drawn um, or three to four days and your AST and ALT will be a little bit more normal. You can also just say like, okay, these are probably not the most accurate representations of liver health and you can add like a GGT test on top of that instead, which is a much more direct um, interpretation of liver function. So. Um, those are markers that I would say are, are faulty when it comes to bodybuilders in most cases. So, um, honestly, if I, if I, uh, get blood work from somebody and they're training hard and, uh, their AST and ALT aren't high, I'm, I'm thinking like, that's weird. Hmm. And, and it's like, are we really, are we really training very hard? Like I will ask that question. <laughs> it makes me want, usually if those numbers are normal, it's not necessarily a problem that they're normal, but it does make me say like, these are usually high. So let's look at some training footage and make sure you're not half-assing it in the gym. Um, the third common, the third of three most common lab panels that get run are your lipid panels. So this is your cholesterol numbers. So um, full disclosure, when I had this cholesterol panel run, I was on a short little blast of Anadrol. So Anadrol is terrible for your lipids. I mean, fucking terrible. Um, and I knew that. So I knew that these numbers were going to be bad. And the question was, how bad? And is it bad enough that I want to stop this? And the answer was yes. It was bad enough that I wanted to stop it. So um, there's three things that I'm looking for here. Well, four. Your total triglycerides, which my numbers here were great. So um, it was 86. You want it under 150, pretty much. Cool. That's all great. Um, so your HDL and your LDL. These are the two types of cholesterol. And people always confuse these. So one of them is good. One of them is bad. Um, so think of uh, LDL as being kind of like uh, arterial plaque. Uh, it's a terrible way to put it, but it's a, it's a great way to kind of visualize it. Like you want your LDL to be low. And the way you remember um, uh, which one is good and which one is bad is, um, I mean, usually the one that's bad is the higher number, but also LDL, L, lousy, bad. We don't like that. HDL is good. H, happy. 
That's how you remember it. So um, you want your LDL to be relatively low. And so mine was 141, which typically you want it under 100. Oops. So yikes. And then your HDL you want higher. Typically you want it above 40, right? Mine was 14. Oops. So the ratio, your HDL, your LDL to HDL ratio, um, you wanted around like, you know, eh, under four, something like that. Mine was 10. <laughs> so uh, this is what Anadrol does to you. So, and to be clear also, it's temporary. It, it's short term. So what I did after this is I stopped it and then I went back seven weeks later and had my lipids rerun again. And so my HDL went from 14 up to 34, still low, but way better. My LDL, my bad stuff, went from 140 down to 60. So holy shit, right? Like that's a big, big change. Um, so the ratio there is now like under two, whereas it was 10 before. So massive improvement there. And that's just seven weeks after stopping the oral. So you can see, um, and, and that's one of those things that kind of made me think like, I'm not really a big fan of orals. <laughs> And so, like, I don't need that. At my age, I just don't need my my um, my HDL to be that tanked. HDL is cardioprotective. A higher number there is good for your heart. 14 fucking sucks. So you want that higher. So I've made some... Um, some uh, supplemental, some um, over-the-counter supplemental interventions to help increase HDL, a couple of um, dietary changes that promote increased HDL as well. My LDL is fine, so I wasn't too worried about that. So um, beyond that, uh, so you've got your hemoglobin A1C, which is really a 90-day statistical average of your blood sugar. Um, so this is less a, a moment in time and more of like, hey, broader picture, here's what your blood glucose is. It's not measured with the same units. Um, so this is a, a percentage uh, rather than uh, a straight, uh, what, what are the units on blood glucose here? Uh, where is it? Milligrams per deciliter. So um, this is just a percentage. How is this percentage calculated? That I don't know. Um, so pre-diabetic is considered 5.7 and above. I'm 5.1. Um, the reference range goes as low as 4.8. So I'm on the, the low end of average for that. Good. Which just means that my, um, you know, my... Uh, the, the 68 that I had recorded here for my blood glucose was probably lower than it had been for the time leading up to that. It had been trending down a little bit, so that's all fair. Um, this is also like I was in a maintenance slash growth phase. My diet was not particularly super dialed in at this point, so uh, things were a little sloppy when I had this run. Um, beyond that, we've got a thyroid panel. So this is where you're going to get... Uh, you know, you have to ask what's in the thyroid panel. Like this one is very incomplete. Let me just see. I don't think there's anything further down here. No, this one only measures your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone and your free T4. Um, it doesn't give you T3, reverse T3 or anything like that. So incomplete. Both of these are fine. Um, you know, my T4 is right in spec. My TSH, there's such a broad range on this. And so um, this is a function of, of how... Uh, how efficient your body is in actually producing thyroid hormone, which is the first step in the chain. Beyond that, there's how well does your body convert and uptake thyroid hormone, you know. Um, so uh, the range is anywhere from 0 0.45 to 4.5. So there's a big, broad range. Mine is 2.24. I would love for that number to be under 2, but 2.24 is fine. And that's one of those things that's usually fairly difficult to influence through activity. So... Um, Beyond that, um, there's a hormone panel as well. So um, th this is getting into the things that usually don't, uh, don't um, get pulled unless you request it. Usually. Sometimes you'll see that they do. Uh, but specifically, you know, for men and women, what we want is your um, free and total testosterone, specifically your total. That's the most important number when it comes to bodybuilding is what is your total testosterone? Because that's a direct measure of your body's ability to, to put on muscle. And so the lower that number is, the bigger problem you're going to have. Very wide reference range on this, 264 to 916. Um, mine was 1134 on a very, very modest TRT dose. That's fine. So, um, uh, I see scores in the two, three, low 400s. Not great for bodybuilding purposes. Like, yeah, that's in your reference range. Ideally, I would say you want it to be at least five or 600. And so if I see a guy come in who um, has a score under that, I'm going to say like, you know, if you're serious about this, it might be a good opportunity to consider TRT. If you're lower, like if you're under the reference range, then you actually have a greater risk of 
organ disease, all-cause mortality, um, neuro and cardiac events um, by having low testosterone, and therefore TRT is actually a protective health measure at that point. It has a bad rap, which is really undeserved just because it is, quote-unquote, a steroid and steroid bad. Um, but honestly, low testosterone is more dangerous than TRT by far. It's not even close. It's not even a conversation. So um, check that number. Get it checked with your doctor. Also, for women, um, the testosterone numbers are wildly different. The ranges are different. Um, where they often come in is wildly different, and where you want them is wildly different as well. Um, I think uh, oftentimes I'll see labs where it says the reference range is 5 to 20 nanograms per deciliter. That's pretty common. Um, the 20, the high end of that, is far under where we want it for bodybuilding purposes. Typically, we want it in like a 60 to 80 range for uh, greatest potential for building muscle. Anything under that, and you're, you're leaving potential gains on the table. Um, I've seen it as high as 100, 110. Um, honestly, I've seen that naturally in a couple people, a couple women, which is pretty high. It's pretty high. And lo and behold, you know, if they work hard, you're going to look like your testosterone is 100 or 110. And by that, I mean, like, you're going to have some muscle on your frame. That's a good thing. Um, where's the level where you start to have negative side effects? it's different for everybody. I would say it's pretty routinely north of that. You can be in 60 to 80 pretty comfortably in that range um, and uh, not really experience any significant side effects. There's a couple of things that I'd watch. The first one being your voice pitch um, to see if that starts to drop at all and actually use uh, an app on your phone that can measure that. So you'll know like, oh, okay, cool. So at you know 78 nanograms per deciliter, my voice has dropped 50 hertz. Hmm, okay, that's something to know about, right? Um, and then maybe you want to dial that down and say like, let me see if I can titrate my TRT dose down so that I'm more like 50 and see how that works. So, um, if you pay attention to that stuff and catch it early, it's, it's, it's not, certainly not permanent. So, um, also, um, like th this, uh, this lab report had your, has my LH and FSH, both of which are completely nuked into oblivion, which is always going to be the case when you're on TRT. They both show a 0 0.1, um, which is basically just non-existent. Those just shut down completely with TRT, with exogenous testosterone in the body. So, um, that's to be expected hundred percent. Um, those would be numbers to check. Like if you've come off cycle or stop TRT, um, you'd want those numbers. You'd want to see how quickly those numbers return back to a, a typical reference range. Um, the other thing, which I did not get checked here and, uh, I'm not super worried about it would be estrogen. The thing about estrogen is it's one of those things where if it's off as a guy, you can probably tell. Um, so things like, you know, massive fatigue that isn't explained because like, oh, I'm following a really hard program, but like exceptional fatigue, night sweats, um, wild mood swings. Um, that's, that's a real thing. And then also, um, like if your libido is there, but your erectile performance is not there, that's a massive high estrogen symptom. So, um, those are things to watch for, um, I, I, I experienced none of those, so I, I feel like I'm good. The next time I go in for blood work, which will probably be in about another four to eight weeks, I will get that checked just because I want to see where it's at. Um, I feel like it's fine. And I feel like I can trust that intuition. I'm cool with that. But at the same time, I would like to know. I'd like to see like, okay, so, you know, my estrogen is at 60, which is high for me. Um, it's probably, you know, appropriate for where my testosterone is. Um, otherwise, you know, at a, a more, you know, normal physiological level of testosterone, having your estrogen at 60 might be high. Um, and you, that might be a, a greater problem. So those two can kind of rise, um, in, in a certain ratio with each other and your testosterone might be, you know, textbook high, um, but fine just because your testosterone is very high also. Um, so, I would just kind of like to know like, okay, at, at this current protocol, this is where my estrogen is and I feel fine at this number. So I know if I start to experience anything, it's above this number, right? As far as side effects are concerned. So, um, there's plenty of other panels you can get. Um, a lot of those are more specialty, but you know, the, the CBC, the CMP and the lipids are pretty standard, the hormone panel, and then a thyroid panel on top of that is really, um, super important. I would also say it would be, um, very useful to, uh, get, um, for women, especially your DHEA, um, a serum test, not a saliva test. And also, um, oh, vitamin D, um, would be a good thing to check as well. So, um, 
specifically like vitamin D 25 hydroxy, I think is the exact uh, test that you'd want to get pulled. Um, just because it's one of those things, if it's low, um, there are, there are consequences to that and it's just so easy to supplement and get it up to spec. So, um, but also vitamin D is something that you can go toxic at. So if you supplement too aggressively, you might overshoot it. And then there's, there's issues with that as well. So it's good. Even if you are supplementing with it, check it just to make sure that you haven't overshot the mark. So, um, that's it. That's your blood work 101 primer. I figure that's probably going to promote as many questions as it answers, but it's a good starting point for the conversation. So with that, I will leave it there. So we covered a lot of ground here. I mean, it took us two days, three days, really, if you count the day in between where nothing happened, but uh, I think we covered some ground, did some good stuff here. So, all right, I'm going to celebrate with a beer. Um, I wish. No, uh, I can't do that. Sadly, I am still in cut mode. I am still focusing on being perfect every day. And uh, well, you know, at least as far as my plan is concerned, <laughs> I don't think I'm a perfect human being by any stretch, but man, I'm nailing my plan. I tell you what, currently it is two in the afternoon. I have 7,300 steps. I'm going to take Taz for another walk. That'll get me at 10 K. I should have no problem hitting 13 K today. So that kind of keeps me an average with where I've been for the last two weeks. So um, stay active everybody stay active um let me know what questions you have hit me up um fivestarphysique.com you can click on contact you can email me at darren at fivestarfitness.com that's star with two r's five all spelled out uh the dropset.com for the episode archive um i am going to be doing some drop set swag soon here um i have it blocked on my calendar we talked about calendar right i moved that over i know we uh we, we talked about the calendar and then <laughs> yesterday everything blew up and I'm like I gotta change my calendar so you see it happens to me too right uh, so that is uh, it's set for 115 to 215 tomorrow I'm gonna do that so we'll see how that goes that's after my workout often I'm kind of tired but sometimes when I'm tired I do my best work sometimes when I'm tired I do my worst work also so we'll see if you get stuff that looks like a fourth grader did it you'll know what happened that's all I got peeps thanks for listening appreciate it I'll catch you next time